Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer here at Schaefer Vineyards with another episode of The Taste. And today we're hitting the trail and heading off to Texas. We're going to talk with a good friend of mine, Kim McPherson. Kim's got a great story. His father basically created the modern Texas wine industry, and Kim and his family have taken it from there and built a real legacy. I've wanted to talk to Kim for a long time, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer, uh, another episode of The Taste. Today is May 7th. We are still in shelter in place in California during these crazy times. So we're back on the phone with today's guest. I've got a story to tell you. Some of you have listened before, have heard this, so bear with me. So back with my UC Davis days, there was a class called Viticulture 116A and 116B, a two-quarter class, uh, led by the famous, infamous Dr. Cook. Uh, who was a character, but it was a mix of grad students, undergrads, 40 or 50 students, front row, Kathy Corson, Tony Soder, Dick Ward, some other top winemakers. I'm in the back with Brian Del Bondio, who is winemaker and president of Markham Forever, Rich Chessie, a couple other folks. And then there was this crazy Texas guy. Um, and he had the best one-liners I've ever heard, and I just loved that class. I learned a ton, and I've never laughed so hard in my life. And that crazy Texan was a guy named Kim McPherson, who is probably one of the key key winemaker people in Texas for over the last 40 years. And he's with us today from, Kim, welcome. Where are you? Where the hell are you? Well, I'm in downtown Lubbock. I'm in an urban winery. It used to be the old Coca-Cola bottling plant, and I'm upstairs in my event guy's office because it's real quiet because we're bottling today. <laughs> we're bottling too. What, do you, say, what, what do you, are you bottling? And if, you, and if I tell you, I don't want you to laugh. I'm not going to laugh. What are you bottling? I'm bottling 2,100 cases of sangria for my – I have a young wife, Doug, and she's Spanish. <laughs> well, good. And she has her own little, she has her own winery, but it's not really a winery. We make her wines for her, but it's actually right across the street from me. And she's had it for 16 years. Cool. And it's called Latiosa Cellars. And her sangria is statewide. And she was running out. She panics. She comes to me and said, I said, okay. Well, Do you're, you love me or not? Well, you're a good, well, you're a good husband. I like it. And tell me, uh, her name is, what's her name? Her name is Sylvia. Great. I met her in Los Angeles, California in 1974. Wow. Been married to her this May, 41 years. Congratulations, my friend. You keep bottling that sangria. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, I married a Spanish woman. Because my dad one time sent me to school down in Old Mexico, down there in Old Mexico. Okay. And I studied archaeology and... I came back, and my mother goes, he's going to marry a Mexican girl. I just know he is. And I said, uh, yeah, I probably am. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I did. Well, good for you. It's 40, 40 years, you said? 41 years. 41 this May, May 26. Man, that's great. That's so cool. So we're bottling 2018 1.5 Cabernet. We're doing, it's at 1. the... 1.5. 1. 1.5. That's, that's, our, that's our mainline cab, baby. 
And and what's that? What is that label called? What's it called? It's Schaefer, actually, it's, it's a Schaefer. It's a Schaefer brand, and then we actually call the wine one point five. And uh, it's a Cabernet, always a Stag Soup District Cab, mostly Cab, sometimes some Merlot and Malbec, Petit Verdot. And uh, the name tells the story, the generation story of my dad and me. He started late in life, second career, and I joined him early. I joined him within the first three years. So instead of two generations, it's one and a half, or we call it 1.5. 1.5. There you go. Do the math. And, and and we I vowed I would never put it in magnums because there was enough confusion with the name anyway. And um, a couple of years ago, we started making mags. So now you can get a 1.5 or 1.5. <laughs> somebody somebody would say I should call it 3.0, but I said that would be ATF or whatever. It wasn't wild about that, so we couldn't do that. So uh, anyway, I'm really jazzed to talk to you, Kim. First, it's great to hear your voice because you and I go way back, but... Um, a lot of people who listen to this podcast don't know much about the wine industry in Texas. So it's really good to have you on. And at some point later, I want to have you do a little overview. But before we get to that, your family is a big part of the Texas wine story from the beginning. And it starts with your dad. So tell me, tell me about your dad and Texas wine. Well, <clears throat> my dad was a chemistry professor at Texas Tech. It's right here in Lubbock. You know, that's the big 12. You know, last year we were in the final two. Right. Anyway, but uh, he taught chemistry, and my mother taught food nutrition, nutrition, okay. senior graduate level nutrition. And he made hooch when he was in college. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, well, and, time out, big boy. What kind of hooch was he making in college? Well, he was making it out of peaches, anything they could make it out of. Got it. And uh, Moonshine. His nickname, yeah, Moonshine, well, or wine. He made peach wine and, okay. and stuff, and and uh, they called him Doc. That's all we ever called him. We never called him Dad. We always called him Doc. You know, <laughs> hey, Doc. You know? So uh, in 1967... He said, I'm going to plant a vineyard. And, of course, my mother goes, hey, you're nuts. So he planted a vineyard, and now the vineyard is in town now. It was outside of town. Wow. And it's called Sagmore. Still have it. It's uh, 14 acres. Uh, seven and a half of it's planted to Sangiovese. And he's had that since 1983. And he's got, he has got two, three acres of Cabernet. Clone Seven, and you're not going to believe this, but Bill Ward planted that. Bill Ward, our old buddy from UC our Davis. Our old buddy Bill Ward, UC who, Davis. Who spent a lot of time, well, he spent most of his career here in Napa, I think, or at least Napa, Sonoma, planting vineyards. Well, he was in Lubbock, Texas for about four years, putting a vineyard in for some rich guys, 100 acres. He put 100 acres in. That's a name that most people really don't know. Bill's uh, we lost Bill a number of years ago, but this guy this guy knew how to plant vineyards, and he was way, I mean, way at the ahead. time, way ahead yeah. of everybody back in the seventies and eighties when he was doing it. You know, and I and I he taught me so much about don't take crap off people and this and that and. You know, his little sayings, you know, he, he was, we got, we you know, we got a, a formal education in grapes and wine and we got a life education from Dr. Bill. Yeah. Ward. You know, he was in the, you know, he was in the uh, Navy and he was a corpsman on a ship off the coast of Vietnam. Right. And he would tell me stories about, you know, stuff, oh, horrible stuff. Right. 
and yeah, it, but he he was a, and you know he he ran away basically. He moved out of his house when he was sixteen years old because mm-hmm. he couldn't stand his sisters. <laughs> and his dad was his dad was okay, but his mother and his sisters drove him nuts. And he moved in on the beach with a cop from L.A. <laughs> and he lived. I mean, it was an incredible story. So he had this great life, and I don't know if you know this, and I'm not trying to harp on Bill Ward, but, you know, he played baseball in, I, in high school. I do remember Costa that. Mesa. Yeah. And that, in the state championship, he's the only guy that got a hit off Burt Blylevin. Wow. Didn't know and that. He, uh, he had elbow surgery, but he had scholarship to UCLA, Arizona, and one other college, and when he had, he said he got those zippers in his elbow. The scholarships disappeared, and he said, "I went, went to school." <laughs> That's go. it. Hey, so he's a great ball player. Golly. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. Didn't wasn't there a viticulture enology softball team, and you guys were on it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't. I put all that together, and I recruited people. You were recruited. No, I. You know something? Because you were a grad student, right? At the Davis. That no, was, no, no, okay, no. Okay, you were undergrad? I thought maybe yep. I was just being discriminated against because I was a punk. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, no, I went to everybody. Hell, I even went to John Alvin. You know, he was a brewery guy. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever remember him? I do. I mean, this guy was super good looking. All the women would go, God, who's that? And they go, he's our buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he makes beer. Uh, yeah, but now he makes one. I know. Well, he, you know, he, he saw the light. He saw the light. So back to back to your dad. So was he your dad the first guy to plant grapes in in that area, West Texas? Well, yeah, up here in, up in the high, Texas, it's called it's AVA. It's called the Texas High Plains. Texas There's High about Plains. A million acres up here. Okay. Texas High Plains. And just for lo- geographic logistics, Lubbock's like how far? It's west of Dallas. How far? All right, we are 80 miles from the New Mexico state line. We are 110 miles south of Amarillo, straight south. Got it. And then we're about 100 miles north of Midland. Okay. So we're in what they call the South Plains, not the Panhandle, the South Plains. But just below the South, the Panhandle, right. Yeah, the the elevation here is about 3,500 feet. And yes, it's flat. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to say because of climate change, it has gotten a little warmer. Right. And so, yes, he was the first guy to plant up here, but he wasn't the first guy to plant in Texas. Okay. Texas has a long history. Uh, there was a gentleman in uh, East Texas that saved the French vineyards from Phylloxera. And they, actually, the he they erected, they gave him the Legion of Honor and they erected a 75-foot monument to him in his grave in, in Denison, Texas. And, God, I can't remember that guy's name. It slips my mind. Right. But, you know, you, you know, I don't know if you know, going just a real quick to Texas is that Jim Leiter, you remember Jim Leiter? Jim Leiter, Dr. Leiter, UC Davis. Dr. Leiter yeah. and his grad students, he told me, he said, Kim, we go to Texas all the time. And I said, why? He said, you've got more indigenous wild grapevines in any state. Oh, and he would go all over this state into creek beds and everywhere, and he would get they'd get root cut. I mean, cuttings, and bring them and back. So, 
Cause and bring them back. Uh, and then they were, you know, and so this is what uh, the guy did in Denison. And he shipped all these cuttings over there to France to save the, and you know, we gave them for locks, right? That's right. We're, yeah, that's something we, we don't talk about too much. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they shipped boatloads over there and they grafted onto this. And, you know, the big thing is now the French say, well, there's, there's pre for vineyards, you know, right. Burgundy that didn't have the rootstock. And then they came up with their own rootstock. But in the long run, he, he saved the, they you, saved the French wine industry. Exactly. Back in the 1870s or whatever. So a little background for everybody. Dr. Leiter was one of our professors back in the 70s in Davis and great guy, really friendly guy. Oh, good. Yeah, really good great guy. guy. And, um, but uh, one of his areas and a lot of things going on at Davis is research on developing new rootstocks and cultivars and, you know, basically genetic engineering, if you will, to come up with a rootstock that does better in clay soil or wet soil or disease resistance. Salt and, soil, right. yeah. And yeah. so um, what Kim's talking about is there are so many native grape um, species in Texas, so much more than anywhere around here. That's where Leiter and these guys were going down to get some of these species to bring them back to the lab to do some genetic work on so that, But I never knew that. I never knew they went to Texas. That's cool. Oh, and he made, I don't know, he told me one time he made three or four trips down here and, you know, and they'd go all over in these creeks and, yeah. And he'd send graduate students down here and they'd come back. And it was, <laughs> it was wild. I'm, huh, who, I never knew that, but that's cool. And so, you know, the, the Repestra stuff and all this, I, I can't even remember the names, but yeah. it's pretty interesting. But my dad had, he had 10 acres. He bought some more from his buddy right. later, but he had 140 different grapevines he planted. 140 different, different grape varietals? Di- 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 different grape varietals from hybrids to Native American to all kinds of uh, vinifera. Right. Uh, and what he was had, what was he doing? Just seeing what was going to be best, or just to see what yeah. would grow here. Okay. And he uh, uh, planted all this. You know, he may have ten vines of something, and thirty vines of this, and you know, fifty vines of this. Okay. And one of the stories he had a grad student that went to Spain. This true story. And this guy came back, and he he had grapevines he'd wrapped around a VW wheel. <laughs> and he was in, he was in the uh, Rioja in Spain. Right. And he brought these two vines back, and Doc goes, "What are they?" He goes, "I don't know. One of them's red, and one of them's white." <laughs> <laughs> and so my dad made cuttings out of all this thing wrapped around a grape uh, in the wheel as he smuggled. He them smuggled in. them in in the, sp- in the spare tire. Got it. Yeah. Okay. In two tires, and and so my dad planted it. And it was Tempranillo and the other white grape of Rioja. I don't know which one it was. They grew like weeds. <laughs> but, you know, he goes, how do I know that's Tempranillo? And I said, well, Doc, you know, you have the leaves and you look at it, but we never sent it off. But, God, he called them Spanish A and Spanish B. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I love this. So this guy, your dad, Doc, he's doing yeah. all this all this planting everything just seeing what grows best now meanwhile so harvest comes along now does he have a winery yet when's well, that when's that happen? yeah it was our garage okay house. your garage is so home winemaker so he would just make small batches of this and that is what i'm guessing right 
Yeah, and, and he made him in reagent. Big, you know, they had these big glass bottles. There's, I still got like ten of them. They're really cool looking. Oh, the big five, the five, yeah. The acid yeah. came in there like six gallons or seven gallons. That, that's right, because he was and a chemistry he, guy. Yeah, he had all. Yeah, that. he had he had all these bottles. And he had stuff down <laughs> in our cellar. He had a cellar. We have a we had a tornado cellar. Right. And he had stuff fermenting down there, and he had stuff fermenting over here. And my big brother, who's he's not in the wine business, he, he teaches school, Doug. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> he still does. All right. He would he would siphon all stuff and sell it to his buddy. <laughs> Did your dad know about that? Yeah, he figured it out <laughs> at some point. He, you know, yeah, it, it got it was funny. Oh. Doc kind of laughed, but it. Then the chemistry department at Tech gave him a downstairs in the basement, big old lab. And he moved everything down there, and he was doing all his experimental stuff down there. Him and his buddy, Bob Reed, who was a professor at Tech, too. But they're making hooch on campus? Is that legal? How oh, they yeah, get rid they, of that? They, got, they got it passed back <laughs> in the day. and They were making hooch on campus and studying stuff and, you know, seeing the best wine and what this and what didn't grow and and, when, and, who's, uh, and who's working the vineyard? Are they, like, doing it on the weekends and nights? They, yeah, they were doing it on the weekends themselves. Yeah. How about you? Were you a kid helping? Did he drag you out to the vineyard? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of us got drug out to the vineyard. We drove the tractor, and, you know, we plowed. You know, back when he first started, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. But then it got to be like, no, that's not no fun anymore. Yeah, it's like, you know, I want to go see my friends and hang out, go to the movies. Yeah, I wanted to do right. that. Yeah. But, you know, back then, you know, Doug, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have this. Right. You know, we didn't have any of that stuff. So, yeah, we went out there and messed around and played in the irrigation well and did and did all that stuff. And But he, he figured out that Vinifera would work here. Okay. And one of his favorite grapes was Carignan. Okay. Because I was going to ask and, you later, what what goes best down your region? Well, Lots well of that's another story, which includes Tony Soap. Okay, we'll get, we'll get to that. We're going to get we'll, to we'll, that. We'll get back to that one. But so he's, 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 he's loving Carignan, so he starts planting more of it. What's he do? He plants, he plants more Carignan. He, he liked Grenache. He had more Ved. Uh, now, you got to remember, my dad loved jelly, and so he had jelly grapes, too. Okay. And that was just for jelly. So he had Concord, and he had some Niagara, and he loved raisins. So he had raisin grapes, too, Black Banaka yeah. and Thompson. And and uh, so he, he did his own raisins, and my mom made jelly. So those were kind of sacred part of the vineyard. You got you got jelly, you got raisins, and you got wine. I mean, yeah, you guys are set. <laughs> and so, and he was doing this, and then in 1975, he started. Somebody, I can't remember who it was, said, "Doc, you ought to build a winery." He said, "You're crazy." <laughs> no, we're not. Well, he. He got some lawyers together and a very rich woman out of San Antonio that was in the oil business, and she gave him the seed money of $50,000. Wow. 
and he raised enough money to build Yano Estacado Winery. And that Little was was that the first? Block. Yeah, was that the first, first one in Texas? It it was the second winery. That there was a small, but it wasn't really a winery. It was in a guy's garage, and he got bonded first, but he didn't last long. But Doc yeah. built this thing out of concrete block. And he put all the tanks inside. And they go, God, why'd you build it out of concrete, Doc? And he said, hell, somebody's going to shoot at this. I guarantee you out here it's a Bible belt. And they didn't sure did. They shot at the winery. <laughs> They're not still doing that, are they? No. Good. No, but, but you know, and then it, Yano's grown into, a, a, you know, it's a huge winery now. Yeah. But he, he built that, and he had some lawyers, and he had some people in it. And was in he- 1976, it was a bonded winery. It's so cool. So was he, uh, was that full time? Was he still teaching? And no, he was still teaching. He had to teach. Got it. And you're, where, where are you? Are you like in high school now or you passed high school? Uh, 76. No, I was, well, I was getting ready to, to uh, go to Davis. Okay. And what was, just for fun though, what was high school like for you and your brothers? What were you guys into? Were you just working in the vineyards? You got sports? <laughs> what were you doing? <clears throat> no sports. We, my brother was older than me, of course, and he was of age, you know, back then he was 18 for the drinking age. Right. And so we, uh, we, uh, 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 he would get us liquor. So we'd sit out in the parking lot and, you know, we'd drink sweet wine, you know, and back then, you know, have an older brother, you know, he got in, got us into weed a little bit, you know. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> you know, and yeah, so, I, had, you know, I, had, I had an older just, brother we too. We went to school and <laughs> we got out. <clears throat> and, and, you, uh, and you partied a little bit. We kind of partied a little bit. Yeah. I got so, that. Okay. So at this point, you know, then I, go ahead. I have an older brother, but I have a younger brother too. You might know John. He's in, he's in the lost region of Temecula. You know, the Psalms go, what, where's that? Anything below Santa Barbara, they go, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) So, but he's down there and he's, he's nine years younger than me. Okay. So anyway, he's a winemaker and he's a very good one. That's great. But uh, my dad started the winery and we started making wine and uh, we couldn't have a tasting room. It was illegal. Huh. But... For some reason, Doc had a little old tasting room, and the TABC sort of turned a blind eye to it. Got it. But he had to get the blessing of all the liquor stores in Texas, the major ones, and get their blessing so that we could sell wine. Wow. And he, it, was, it was a very kind of a tough deal. Oh, I bet it was. I mean, there was a gentleman by the name of Pinky Road who had Pinky's liquor stores all over here in West Texas. I mean, he was a famous bootlegger. Hell, my dad had to go down to Odessa all the time, and they 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 liked Doc. They go, hey, Doc, and, and right. they let him. They passed a tasting room law, but Doc couldn't sell. You couldn't sell over twenty five thousand gallons out of your tasting room, but they let him have the tasting room law. So he stole it. Hold, sold out of the tasting room. Was he selling? You know, this is back in the back in the days. And was he selling it to restaurants and other retail outlets or distributors? He was selling it to Pinkies and to Majestics, who was in Fort Worth, right. and Seagulls, which was in Dallas. Got it. 
And, uh, and what what types of wine? He's obviously Carignan, I'd bet. What what else well, was he we, making? Well, we had we didn't have any varietals, so to speak. We Got had it. blends. Okay. Because we didn't have enough. So we had, you know, we had a red wine, we had a white, of course, white wine, and uh, we put him in liter and a half too. <laughs> right. One point five, baby. Well, one point five, <laughs> and you know, we didn't we didn't do a lot. I mean, we we were doing. He was probably doing twenty five hundred cases a right, year. Right. Right. Well, yeah, he's got but, full, but fun. How? I mean, that must have been crazy. Did did what did the locals all think? They think he was nuts. Or well, he was remember? nuts. But <laughs> but you know, they loved to drink the wine, and they'd come out there. And you know, the funny. This is a very funny story too. His first winemaker was an Australian that he met. Remember, they didn't have Unified in those days. It was ASEV. Right. Remember that? Right. This is, uh, this, is the annual, this is the annual wine people convention, yeah, ASEV. It, back then. And, and so he met an Australian there at San Diego. And this guy was named, I can't even remember his name, Terry something, Beltrami or Terry something. Okay. And he hired this guy to make wine. He's a good winemaker. And, but unbeknownst to my dad... This guy wanted to go back to Australia, but he didn't have any money. <laughs> and, so, and so he got in trouble. He kind of fooled around with a farmer's wife. Oh, come on. Really? That's just no, like right, no. out of, that's right out of Hollywood. <laughs> but these things happen. That's how movies and happen. And anyway, he got in trouble, and they arrested him, and this and that. And it's, it's exactly kind of what he wanted. Because the government stepped in and they, you know, they gave him a free flight home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And so you know, McPherson, you, you just can't make this stuff up. I, I'm not making it up. It's a true story. And, and he went <clears throat> back home and he was here for about two years. And we hired a guy. You may know him. Uh, Joe. God, God dang it. Joe Norman. Okay. And I think. Joe Norman went to Davis, smart kid, and he was in Missouri, but he's from California. He okay. was in Missouri making wine, and when this, my dad got him, he he said, heck yeah, I'm moving west. I'm just going to move it there. And right. he was making wine here, and he was a good winemaker too. And he was making, you know, varietals and stuff, and, and uh, uh, anyway, he got homesick, and he was here about three years, I think. Mm-hmm. And then he, he moved back to California. I think he's at ASV, if I'm not mistaken. I see Joe every now and then. And, uh, you know, he loved it here, but he moved back. And then that's when I was well, that's, in and, Davis. Yeah, so for you, how'd you get to Davis? Did you know you wanted to be a wine guy, or was this just something to do? Or was this like, this well, is the next time I'm going to come back, I'm going to do this, I'm really into this, or just, what, what's the story Well, there? I wasn't into it. I can tell you, not in the beginning. My, uh, <clears throat> my, de- my first degree is in food science. And my mother said, you'll never want for a job in food science. And she was right. Because, you know, we make all the shit that you people eat. <laughs> this, Burritos, is your, this is your mother. Bars, this is your mother. I love it. I love it. You know? Because, yeah, uh, yeah, she was a prof in food science. That's right. Okay. And I got a job in Los Angeles when I was going to tech as an intern, and I worked at Carnation Dairy in downtown Los Angeles. That's where that came from. You mentioned that the other day. Okay. It was an internship. And I, and I worked there, and every summer, and I made, gosh, oh, union, man, I made good money. 
I bought a BMW motorcycle that I still have. I got, you know, I met my wife there. I met all these people. It was a party. It was a party. And, you know, when I graduated from tech, uh, I got a job in a R&D food plant outside of Dallas, north of Dallas. And, you know, we, we did all kinds of shit there. We were, it was 7C salad dressing and chiffon margarine. Wow. And, I, and this is another true story. You know, the big thing that we were trying to do there was, you remember ranch dressing? You know ranch dressing. Sure. Everybody remember knows Remember you ranch. had to make it up fresh with mayonnaise, buttermilk, right. and the powder? Right. Well, they were trying to get that flavor in the bottle. And they, you know, they've succeeded now. But right. We were doing that. But I worked in the cheese division because I was on the national dairy judging team at Tech. So they put me into the cheese division. And I went all over. I went to Wisconsin, Minnesota, went up there and, and worked in these plants and did all this spec work, and, you know. And it was fun for a while. Right. Then it got old. And I was with this company 11 months. And I told my mom, I said, I'm quitting. And she goes, you can't quit. you got to work there for one year. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, they, they laid a bunch of, they laid 125 of us off. And I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and you? that was the summer that uh, the first Star Wars came out. Okay. And All I right. was living, I was living north of Dallas. And my brother lived up on a lake. And yeah, I just spent all, my, all summer doing that, watching Star Trek in the movie theater and going sailing on a sailboat shit. Good for you. So well, then, and then I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. I had these headhunters call me all the time. Hey, King, and we've got a great job down here in Dallas. So my dad calls me up because I, I want you to go to Davis. I go, Doc, Doc, I don't want to get a master's. He said, no, no. He said, Denny Webb is a dear friend of mine. Dr. Webb goes, up at Davis, yeah. Okay. They were in the American Chemical Society together. And so Denny Webb, he, he came out here one time for something. He came to our house. And uh, anyway, he goes, Denny Webb's going to fix everything up for you. I go, oh, really? <laughs> I said, how's that? That's a great. And uh, I went out there and I met with Dr. Webb. And he said, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to become a concurrent student. Okay. It's just like you're a graduate. You're a, you're a, you're gonna like you graduate, but you're not. You're you're not gonna get another degree. You're just gonna take classes. I mean, like you're a, gonna take classes, and and I'm gonna arrange it, and you're gonna go to you're. It's like you're gonna get in. Hell, I went to soil science. Went to water. I went right. out everywhere. I right. did all the enology classes. He set all that up. And I was there two and a half years. So I might as well. So that's what you were doing. I see. I thought you yeah. were. I thought you were getting a master's. Okay. No, no, I okay. didn't want to do that. Yeah. No, I didn't want to do that. You just wanted. You just wanted to get the classes. You wanted to learn. Yeah, and I mean, I, I got <clears throat> grades just like everybody else. Hell, I, they still send me stuff. I'm an alumni. Right. <laughs> Davis. <laughs> so I said okay, <clears throat> but yeah, I went there for a little over two years. What was, how was, did you like, who was, who was in your class? Who were some of your peers? You know, I was in one class, but who, I only had one with you. Oh gosh. I'll tell you the, the one big class you had, well, I had Bruce Cakebread, okay. Dan Segatio, Randall Graham, uh, Kathy Corazon and those guys were grad students. Right. 
Kunzgard, John Kunzgard. I like that guy. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Uh, Tony Soder was not there. He'd already left. Um, who else? Bruce Kate Bread. And it's Bruce's wife. Uh, Rosemary. Yeah. Oh gosh, I would have to sit down and try to remember. No, nah, don't no, don't worry about it. No, no, I'm not gonna worry about that. No. But yeah, and, and all these guys are in the in the class. You know, there's a lot of Vitz guys that, that were famous now. Right. Well, I tell you, you know, Dick Graves. No, Dick Ward. Dick Ward. Was it Dick? It was Dick, Dick Ward. Yeah, Dick Ward and, and David was, Graves. Uh, he was a grad student. Right. Uh, who's the guy that owns Morgan? Dan Lee. Dan Lee, Morgan. Yeah. Dan Lee. <laughs> you, see, look, man, you still got it, Kim. You're still and there, David baby. David Graves. Right. You know, you know what? David, is. he was always a great guy. And uh, I bought their bottling line from them. <laughs> I got an incredible Bertolasso bottling line I bought from Sainsbury. We had David on this show just a few weeks ago. It was great to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big old goober. <laughs> you know, they were doing 1.5. <laughs> Goober. They were doing, oh. I got, you know, I got their volley. I go, well, why were you guys doing 1.5s of Pinot Noir? And they went, you know, played out. It worked. It worked. It worked. So after Davis, where'd you go? Did you go back to Texas? No, 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 no. No. Uh, you know, Daryl Eklund was my, you know, he was my roommate. Okay. Well, not at, not in college, but when we got, when I got out, he was working at Trefethen. And he said, man, you ought to come to work over here at Trefethen. So I go in there, and and uh, they hire me. All right. White House and, and, you know, all those guys, and Janet. And so they hire me. And so, you know, Daryl and I live down by the marina somewhere in Napa. It's all built up now. Yeah, down south and, Napa. And uh, we were roommates. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, my wife was living in Burlingame, California, with her brother, so I'd, you know, go back and forth, and she'd come up to Napa, and, you know, Bill Ward. When did you, you guys get married? When you were at Davis? Where? Yeah. Or do you no, get, no, no. We got, we got married after I came back from Davis. Okay, okay. And, uh, but, you know, Bill Ward was there, and uh, we'd see each other, and we'd go, you know, to all these tasting rooms and shit. And anyway, that, and I worked at Trefethen. Just to where it's just seller job, yeah. Just, just, yeah, you know, just hauling hoses, popping barrels, yep. cleaning tanks. Actually, Daryl and I used to work for Domain Chandon for about two months out of the year because you know that's how Trefethen got started. How's that? I mean, well, Domain Chandon bought all their tanks for them, okay, because they were building Domain Chandon and they didn't have a winery. You know, John Trefethen he said, Hey. Get all my tanks here. You can do it here, and we'll share the tanks because you know they were out of the tanks. Okay. When Trefethen needed the tanks, so to speak. Right. Because they had a crush pad there, and we we would crush sparkling wine grapes, and we Daryl and I'd rack tanks into a tanker, chill that stuff, rack it into a tanker, and they'd drive it up the hill to Domaine Chandon. Because they didn't and have then, tanks, yeah. And then when the sparkling ran out, then. We started picking, you know, regular grapes for Trefethen. It was a great deal. It is a good deal. And then they finally put in all their tanks. So, All right, so you're a Trefethen. How long are you Trefethen? A little over a year. <clears throat> okay. And, man, I wanted to stay bad. 
and my dad, he called the markers in. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you, you owe me. And I said, I don't oh. know <laughs> no, really? <laughs> so dad said, come he, home. He said, you got to come home and help me run Yano Estacado. You got to come over here. And I said, God darn, Doc. Man, you know, it's really pretty out here. And it's really cool. And why'd, you want, why'd you want to stay here besides the pretty? Well, because back then he was really nice. He was yeah. laid back. And, you know, and that's a funny story, too, because uh, Daryl, I asked him one time at ASCV, and I go, how's Nappy? And he goes, well, Kim, remember all those millionaires that came in and bought everything up? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, they're billionaires are coming in and buying them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went, yeah, it kind of got out of hand. And I said, well, oh, well. But uh, I had a great time there. And the Trefethans, when I left, they they threw an incredible surprise party for me in that, in that you know, the, the big house right over there on the property. Yeah. Well, oh, the- my God. They, they, they kidded me. I mean, they were like, no, go over there and clean. We need for you to go to the pool house over there and da 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 And I said, okay. You know, run over there. And then everybody was in there, my wife and all these people, and they had their chef. And, I mean, it was, un, it was unreal. There you go. And I thought, well, I guess I did something right. You made, a, you made an impression. You always do, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I hope it's a good one. But, yeah, it was a good time there. So dad dragged you back. So were you kicking and screaming or just kicking a little bit? Kicking a little bit because I wanted to make, you know, Cabernet and I wanted to do Chardonnay. I wanted to do these varieties that, you know, we were doing in Napa. And, you know, and back then, I will say this, because of climate change, it was a lot cooler here. Right. In the summer. I mean, 90 would be a pretty good warm day. Okay. But it'd go down to like 52, 54 at night. See, that's good you know? to know because I think a lot of us who don't know the Texas scene, it's like, you know, oh, it's just hot as hell all the time, you know, everywhere. Yeah. So that's. Uh, it's so it's you, bone dry here too. There's yeah. very little humidity. And so, you know, we were making fairly, I thought, decent Chardonnay. And the cabs were, you know, I did well in competitions with cab, you know, Chardonnay, it was the first double gold medal winning wine in Texas in San Francisco. Okay. And that freaked everybody out. It's like, well, you know, but it didn't, Chardonnay, it, it didn't last. It, it got warmer and it, it, it budded out so early. And anyway, it's too hot. It's too but, hot. But other varietals do well, right? Well, now that's where Soder came in. When I, yeah, tell me about I that. Left, I have, I have a, very storied history in wine business. I left Yano. I was there about five years. Working with your and, dad. Yeah. Yeah, but they he, they sold that one. Well, they needed money, so they got in these big rich guys. Okay. And the rich guys kind of took the whole thing over, and, and my dad, he got disillusioned, and he became a minor stockholder. And I said, you know, Doc, I'm out of here. Uh, and so there was a winery going in that was had a bunch of, that was raising money. And it was called it was called Tasha. And oh. this winery was an ultra modern winery. It's probably three miles from Yano. Okay. And a, Mac Powell was the engineer that put in Mandavi's Woodbridge plant. He okay. designed this whole winery. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, this thing, you know, you could do, you know, fifty tons a day with gondolas and all this stuff. It was great. Yeah. Still there. 
And so my, they got my dad involved in that. And we saw the handwriting on the wall that they were spending way too much money. <laughs> and my dad goes, I'm getting out of this. And he, they bought him out. Okay. But when they did that, you know, I was going to be the winemaker there. And this story, it's, it's a great story. It's a true story. And I said, no, I'm not. And they held my feet to the fire. They said, you're going to do this or, you know, we're going to, you know, not buy your dad's grapes and all this. And I right. said, look, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Just get rid of the contract with my dad because he's going to go to Yana with his grapes. And so they did that. But then I said, screw you. And so I um, <laughs> went to the Central Coast. Well, no, I didn't go to the Central Coast then. <laughs> so you took off. Well, there was another winery north of Dallas going in by a bunch of rich guys. <laughs> you just love you know, to people, you just love to hang out with rich guys, don't you? You just you know, love that. Love <laughs> well, one of them was a dentist for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, one of them was Bruce Crampton, the professional golfer. Uh, he was part of the thing. One of them was the chairman of the board of E Systems, which was a huge defense company in Fort Worth. They were all these rich guys. Right. Land guys. So we, we built this cool little winery up in the woods. And, uh, you know, it was fun for about three years. And then it, that went belly up. What was the name of that one? It was called uh, Texas Vineyards. Okay. And then Show Paul Hill. Okay. And a doctor ended up with that winery, and he donated that little winery to Grayson County College for a training winery. <laughs> okay. It's still there. But that's when I said, no, I'm done. I'm going to go back to California. So I went to the Central Coast, and there's a place called the Central Coast Wine Warehouse. Okay. Which was the old CBS record plant in Santa Maria. And the Miller family, which owned being the Cito, French Camp, big, big, great growing family in, in Santa Maria and right. the Central Coast, they bought that and they were, they had, they had the Central Coast Wine Warehouse. As a, as a and winery. Got it. As a, well, no, well, <clears throat> anybody wanted to come in there. Right. Me and Lane Tanner were the first ones to go in there. Do you I, know who Lane Tanner yeah, is? I do. I remember Lane. Yeah. A uh, great gal. Anyway, you know, she loved Pinot Noir. And so we had a little old space. We had a bonded winery space. I think it was like 20 by 20. Huh? <laughs> but then we used all their crush equipment and we used all their tanks. You know, you know how that sh shit goes. Right, right. And so I said, well, I'm going to make Chardonnay from uh, being the Cito. And I was making... True story here is making Chardonnay, but I wasn't selling it for enough money. They said, <laughs> <laughs> so they said we're not gonna we're not gonna sell you Chardonnay anymore because I was selling it for like eighteen bucks a bottle. And they said no, this stuff should be like thirty five or forty. And I go, come on, guys, you know I'm a friend of the working man. Yeah. Well, I said okay, that's fine. So I went down to Santa Maria Hills Vineyards, and I made this Chardonnay at the Central Coast Wine Warehouse. And Dan Berger, you know who he is. Yeah, of course. Wine writer. He got he was the wine writer for the Los Angeles Times. Right. He picked this wine up. I made three hundred and thirty cases. He made it the wine of the week in the LA Times. Sold all of it in an hour. That's great. 
to the Duke of Bourbon, to High Times, uh, you know these. All the uh, the top. Yeah, Wally's all the top retailers in Southern California. Yeah, they bought it all, dude. (laughs) And so I was doing that. and and Yeah. Well, that's when I went down to Temecula, (laughs) and I was still getting fruit from Central Coast. Okay. And the the winery I told you about, Tasha, remember? Yes. Well, it went bankrupt. Okay. And the bank that picked it up was a bank that was owned by a guy that I grew up across the street from. And he gives me a phone call. <laughs> and he says, he says, uh, Kim, I want you to come back and run this winery. I said, oh, I don't know. Alan, his name is Alan White. He made, he made me an incredible offer. But I said, I, I still want my own label. He said, no problem. And uh, I came back and, and took that winery over. Back to, you know, Lu- back to Both my ba- girls through college. Back to Lubbock, right? Yeah, I raised two great girls there. My wife, I brought her back over here. Everybody goes, how'd you do? And I said, hell, NyQuil. <laughs> and she woke up. She goes, where am I? I said, paradise, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> NyQuil. So you, you moved back to Lubbock when, what, to work at, uh, what's the winery called? What was it called? It was called Tasha, but they renamed it Caprock Winery. That's the one. Okay. And, and this, so here's the other funny part of the story. <clears throat> so, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out how to run this thing. And, and Alan comes to me and he goes, Kim, we're going to fly up to Napa. Get in the jet. We're going to fly to Napa. And I said, oh, yeah, great. <laughs> he said, we're going to meet some people that are going to be some consultants. I said, oh, that's good. He said, you good with that? I said, I'm good with that. <laughs> well, uh, one of the consultants was Robert Craig. Great fingered grower. Great, great grower. And, uh, Elizabeth Mont- Pressler. Yeah. Another you know, good winemaker. Pressler. Yeah. And Tony Soder. We all know Tony. <laughs> and they brought, they, they would fly them out here, and we'd fly up to Colorado to Alex's place, and we had a strategy, and we had a, a session. Elizabeth had did the packaging, and Robert Craig did the, the, the accounting and marketing thing on it, and Soder was, he was my consultant. And this is where I had the famous epiphany that it's too hot here to grow cab and everything else. Tony, oh. Tony did that for me. Oh, Kim, you got to, I got to stop you for a minute. What year was this? What are you talking about? Where were we? 90 or 90, 91, I think. All right. We're going to get back to you in two seconds, but, um, you don't know this. Tony worked with me in 86 through early 88 with Elias and me and, uh, he turned our world inside out, upside down, and made us um, helped us become really, really solid winemakers. And I, I, meaning Elias and me and Schaefer, owe so much to Tony Soder and his uh, everything he taught us. So it sounds like you've got a similar story. So go for I, it. I want to hear I, it. I, I, lo- I loved <clears> it. I mean, he was yeah. incredible. He said, "Kim, it's way too hot here." For you. I said, "Well, I'd love for you to tell the bankers that." <laughs> And, you know, he was, he taught me so many little tricks, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, we made a red wine. He said, Kim, let's add 10% Riesling to that. And I go, you, you're kidding. He goes, no, it, it'll be incredible. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, I mean, we, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you just little things, you know? Yeah. 
and 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 uh, you know the, the the thing, one thing that he taught me, you know, we'd get a red wine in the lab, and I'd go, God, I mean, this thing. He goes, we're going to add uh, since we sterile bottle everything, we're going to add we're going to add like two grams per liter sugar, and I go, you know, that just freaked me out. Right. But what what it did to the wine was unbelievable. It made the wine taste better, and that's what. No, it just, just fills it out. It's just round. Yeah. And aren't we in business to make wines that taste good? That's what I think. That well, I'm in your <laughs> camp. Well, I'm, well, I'm a member of that club too. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> and so it was just like a, a, the day of like, you know, you guys ought to be planting, you know, having carrion and you know this and that and so that's that's where I said, you know, no more anymore. I, I, people know me now. Don't get him on cab. People come into my station and go, go to Napa. You want some cat? Well, yeah. Everything, you know, everything has its place. Bill Ward once told me if he owned Napa Valley, he would have nothing in it but Cabernet and Merlot and the red grapes for Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. He said, that's the only thing I'd be planted in this valley. Well, and, that, and, and that's kind of happening. You know, the majority of the red acreage is, is Cabernet up here now. And it makes sense because it does really well here. It's a good spot for it. So there it's you a go. great spot, it's yeah. the greatest spot in the country for it, I think. Yep, yep. So you're at Cap Rock, and you were there. You were there a long time. Sixteen and a half years. Yeah, and so you run it, and you know what size of operation was it when you were there? Oh, we were probably our biggest year. We were probably doing twenty four, twenty five thousand cases. Okay, serious winery, and yeah. Uh, had a great Bertolasso bottling. I mean, it's very modern winery. Everything in that thing was just, you know, custom-made Mueller tanks. Uh, nice. You know, everything was beautiful. But then the feds came in and told the the bank, you got to get out of the business. You can't keep running a, a business, the regulators. <laughs> why Why? Why'd they say that? Because banks aren't supposed to be in the business to own a business and run a business. I see. Okay. They so they 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 sold the winery to some some guys out of New York, and that's when it all went south. Oh man! So uh, now it's called English Newsome, and one of my grower buddies and another guy bought it, and and uh, they're running it, and and I've got an I have an intern that's the winemaker out there. He intern here. I have three winery winemakers in Texas that intern for me. There you go. So, anywho, but while I was at while I was at Caprock, right? My little brother came to California in 1985, and he wanted to make sparkling wine. And so he got an internship at. Piper Sonoma, but it was only for six months. And he said, you know, I don't think I want to do that. And there was a, a winery down in Fallbrook, way down in Southern California called Culbertson. Right. And this, he said, I'll give you a full-time job. You're not the winemaker, but you know, you're assistant winemaker. So my brother took it. He has a degree in food science. He didn't go to Davis. So he goes down there and, uh, the winemaker, I don't know. He, he twisted off with his wife or something and they just split. And huh. so John Culbertson said, John, I'm going to give you six months to prove yourself. You're the winemaker. And from that point on, 
You know, and they used to, they used, uh, what was the guy at Mum? Oh. Uh, he started, I, oh, he started at Trumpsburg. He was, Elias worked for him a couple summers. Well, he, oh, he went to yeah. Davis, too. Right. I kind of can't remember his name. Rob Davies, though, he, him and my brother were buddies. And, uh, he was at Schramsburg. The guy that, that was the big shot at Mum, he put Mum together for the French. Can't remember his name. I know I can't either, but I know you. Well, anyway, he was John's yeah. consultant, and and John became a little, quite the well-known, you know, method champion while sparkling wine guy. Mm-hmm. And then that winery got bought out, and, and he moved to Temecula with a very rich guy that was in the uh, software business. This this guy lived in the Wrigley House in okay. La Jolla. Okay. <laughs> And his name was John Thornton. And so my brother was there, and, and, and from Thornton, he moved to South Coast. Got it. And so he's been the winemaker there since 85. Going to back to that, though, John got me into judging. Oh, really? You're a judger and for all these events. So I have been a judge for about 25 or 28 years. Where do you judge? Well, I've judged everywhere, San Diego, L.A., uh, San Bernardino, Pacific Rim. Uh, I do about three judgings a year, San, San Diego International. But my big, the, my, the one that I'm most proud of is Texas, which oh, yeah. is the old Dallas Morning News, right? which right. is the hardest competition in America. And it's That's like, it. it's being a judge, you're, it's like how many days and how many wines a day do you go through? Well, now the funny thing is at Texom, there's only three winemakers. Okay. The rest of them are masters of wine and master psalms and journalists from all over the world. They have over 4,000 wines. <laughs> and they bring in six, there's 60 judges. You know Donine Dyer? Yes. That's Mama, Mama Donine. I like to call her Mama, Mama Don, Donine. <laughs> She's there, and, and then me, and then another winemaker, and that's it. <laughs> wow. Freddie Dane's there. Fred Dane's always there. Of course. Uh, who else would you know from that? Doug Frost is there. Good. I know Doug. Uh, oh, gosh. There's a just a bunch of wine writers. What's well, uh, fun. And you, so you do all those wines, and what, you do them like in two or three days, something like that? It takes us two days to yeah. do that. But I've judged, and, and I've learned so much about, you know, wines and, and uh, you know, how – and I enter, these, I enter these competitions because I kind of want to see, you know, how we stand up. Are we doing this right? Right. Uh, and I, this is another story that while I'm, I have this winery here, there was two women where I get all my grapes from down here in this Terry County about 30 miles south, and mm-hmm. we're going to get into that. And they planted Alvarino. And that's the coldest climate grape I have, unless you're in Portugal. Right. And I said, why did y'all plant Alvarino? And they said, well, it was the last stuff they had in the nursery. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) And I went, okay, so they have like two acres or Alvarino or three acres. And they said, we want you to make Alvarino. I said, hell, I've never made Alvarino in my life. Well, I make Alberino in the second year. It's the grand champion at San Bernardino. And old Fred Davis goes, what the hell are you doing? There you go. 
There you go. So we can make Albarino here. Is it a big seller for me? Yeah, I do 400 cases. Yeah. That's a great grape. So, hey, so, you know, so just for fun, do you mind taking like just five minutes and give me a 30 or even no, less? Because I need to call my wife. She's called me three times. You got to call her? You want to take a break? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you want me to do? You're going to hang up. You're going to hang up, call your wife, and I'll call you back in what, 10 minutes? Okay. All right. I'll call you back in 10. See ya. Thanks. All I'm doing down here, I just pick up trash and do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I I got a I have a confession to make. When we talked the other day, it was pretty funny because we got we we got off the phone call. You left your phone on. Oh, really? Oh, it was hilarious because it was like I was like because you were like God. You make (laughs) it was the day you were trying to get two generators or something going, and you're like. Did he get that switch on? You got to watch it before it gets hot. Now, God damn it. Don't get over there. Now, you get that other thing up. We got to get that thing online. Let's go. I was like, oh, oh you, you were on it. It was you. I only listened for like two, two minutes. It was pretty funny. But you were like, you were like running the show. You're you know, taking care of business. I loved it. Well, that's shit, you know, when you, you, you're, you're the owner, you know. Uh-huh. And I, was, I was picking up trash. I pick up trash here every day downtown here, you know. One of my growers drives up. He goes, "Hey, you look like you got a promotion." And said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm in. I'm in charge of the wastewater ponds here. That's my job. So, <laughs> well, I, that's why I'm in the city because I didn't want that anymore. Oh yeah, we got to talk about that. So, all right, are you ready? Here, we'll, we'll get this get yeah. this thing kicking. All right. So, hey, Kim, let's take a minute because I know a lot of folks don't know about the Texas wine market and grape growing areas and production. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm not that up on because I, I have a confession to make. I always thought the only place they grew grapes in Texas were it was down near Austin in what they call the hill hill country. Hill country, yeah. Yeah, which is so can you give us, you know, just like give a, you know, 3,000 3, feet overview of grapes and wine in Texas. It's a big state. Well, well, yeah, it, that that it is. But there, I can't remember how many AVAs there are. There's maybe ten. You have the High Plains. You have the Hill Country. You've got Trans Pecos. You've got I don't know. Yeah. But ninety percent of the grapes that are used in this state come from up here on the High Plains. Okay. In, from from Terry County and Yoakum County. So, up here, so 90 percent in your area. That's the so vast yeah, majority. Thirty miles from me, south. And when I say the grapes, you know, there's probably only, you know, this is like forty five hundred acres, maybe forty eight acres of grapes, forty eight hundred, and that's it. And then you go down to hill country, and there may be another four hundred or five hundred, but most of it's grown up here. And, okay. You know that those are, that's not a lot of grapes. Right. Okay. There's over 400 wineries in this state. Wow. And a lot of them are down in the hill country in on 290. That's between Fredericksburg and Austin. And it's the most second visited area behind Napa for wineries. Is it really? I didn't There's know There's 60 wineries, like I think, on 290. In fact, I own part of a winery called 4.0 that I went in with two guys that have wineries, one up near Fort Worth and the other one near out in the middle of nowhere. And we decided we wanted some of that tourist slot money. There you go. 
And they came to me and they said, Kim, you know, we're going to do this. And I said, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> I said, you know, I got this big old wagon I'm pulling downtown here. You know, it's me and LNB. We're, we're close. Right. And they said, you know, if you can do this and put in this much money, you know, we'll have a third of it. Right. But they really wanted my wines. Okay. And I, that's okay. That's okay. But I move probably, I'm going to say, Six six thousand cases a year from down there, and that's all retail. Oh, that's great! And my accountant says, "Do not rock that boat. Don't rock that boat." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Man, that you know that makes your nut do this." And, and so, yes, you have the hill country. In the hill country, Doug, it's like this: if if the Gulf of Mexico, which is cold as the Pacific, right. You would have the most incredible grape growing region, you know, right in there in the rocks and everything. It'd be incredible. Good point. But it's not. It's not. It's not. It's very hot and it's very humid and you fight that a lot. Okay. So they're fighting fight. that humidity. Okay. Oh, disease pressure yeah. all the time. This is humidity during the summer, the growing season for everybody. That's, oh, that's yeah. what we're talking it's, about. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because it's wet. They get 35 inches of rain a year. And it rains during the growing season, too. And oh, like big oh time. that high hill country rain, you know. But yeah. Get a little shower come up. Now I've got to go in that vineyard, and I've got to spray it. I've got, got it. to keep it sprayed. I've got to keep it sprayed. Keep the mildew down. Oh, all the time. And the insect pressure. Interesting. So they've got the tourists, because they're pretty close to Austin. I think it's within an hour oh, or so. Oh, they're close to San Antonio. Antonio. They're, so they're that's an hour to, from San Antonio and an hour from Austin. Local tourists, big time, but tough place oh. to grow grapes. A number of, you know, a few hundred acres, four or five hundred. But so the yeah. majority is up where you are because growing season, you don't have that humidity you were just talk, talking about earlier. I don't have earlier. humidity. Uh, it's, it's, you know, very dry. Everything's on drip here. Right. But there, I'm going to say this down in the head country. There are a couple of growers that have really made up. They've really done well. But, you know, they'll tell you they fight it. Yeah. It's, it's a battle. Yeah. Uh, it's a battle. Now, it's not, you know, it's not easy here, up here. Our, our big problem is spring frost. Oh, okay. Before you get to frost, though, you're, earlier you said you don't get, you get hot, but you're not super hot. And that's, that's probably because your elevation. You're just cooler right. that way. Okay, so that, right. but then spring frost, you get, what happens there? Cause it's well, some, you know, it, you'll get these things two or three inches out and, you know, you may get 28 degrees. Ooh. So what these growers have done, these really good growers now, they've got these incredible fans and heaters. Yeah. And they've, they've been, you know, beating it. We didn't have one this year. We had one close, but we didn't. Yeah. They, they had everything running, so it, 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 it made it. And uh, so that's what we have. But then after the frost... Now we've got the famous hailstorms. Oh, that's right. You guys got hailstorms. You don't have tornadoes too, do you? No, the tornado. Well, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Tornadoes uh, have kind of moved to the east. Okay. You know, more like in Oklahoma, you know, where it's humid. Yeah. Where it's very humid. Uh, so, no, not really tornadoes. But, you know, you'll get... We drop, if you go 15 miles east of where I'm sitting right now, you drop off about 1,600 feet. Wow. Off this plateau. Okay. And so you'll have these storms, the moisture coming up from the Gulf, 
and they'll build right up on this cap rock, and they may or may not come up on the plains. They may stay off the cap rock. Then you go, I can be at 10,000 feet in four hours to the west, the mountains. And so this is where our storms come from. They build up and they move across, and you have these thunderstorms, and <clears throat> you can get hailed out. Oh, and what hail uh, hail basically tears leaves apart, messes oh, up the clusters. Depending on the hail. Yeah. If you get pea sized hail and a high wind, it'll shred your vineyard. So leaves are leaves are torn up. They can't produce sugars to ripen the fruit. Heck, the, yeah, you, their clusters probably get totally torn up too. Oh yeah, you'll and they're and they're and the clusters are are basically you know still green. Right. They're bigger than a pea, but as soon as that hail ball hits it, then you've got you got damage. So what these guys are doing now, and I have to do it at my dad's vineyard, I have to bird net it because now he's in town and it's like the country club out there for right. the birds. Got it. You used to not have to do that. But now these guys are, some of them are putting hail netting on and it serves as bird netting too. So, okay, because we, there's areas out here where people use bird netting, but so you use, you're using netting tighter tighter mesh to protect the vineyard from hail. Yeah. And it works. It works. Wow. But it's an added cost. You know, they have, they have these machines and they, they roll it up and then they, they, my netting stays on year round. We just roll it down and tie it. Yeah. But see, I'll have to pay to have that brought over in July to keep the birds out of it. Got it. So we're in the hail season now. It's coming up. Oh man. Well, good luck. I hope it stays well, away. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, so we have that going for us. But meantime, the grapes that are being grown yeah. are exactly what we need to be growing here. Uh, Morvet, probably one of the best red grapes we have. Okay. Carignan, uh, Senso. Senso loves it here. Okay. Of course, Tempranillo. There's probably... I was asking, the, I had the uh, High Plains grape growers president here. She was here yet. I said, how many acres of Tempranillo were up here? She goes, maybe 300 acres of Tempranillo. Wow. And, you know, uh, Tempranillo, we've got uh, Sangiovese. My dad was the first guy to plant Sangiovese. Right. In 1983. Beautiful grape here. Loves the heat. You know, it didn't like Atlas Peak. <laughs> <laughs> That's out here in Napa. So and they and they uh, they moved. You know, they planted all that back to camp. They did. They did. So, so, uh, so basically, the same old story: matching the right grape with the right place, and that's what you guys have been doing. That's what we've been doing. But you know, we still have some knuckleheads. That <laughs> I planted fifteen acres of Pinot Noir, and you go, why? <laughs> Wow, no. You know, really? Someone did that? 30 acres of Riesling. You know, maybe just plant two or three and see how it does. You know? Kind of like your dad no, did. Kind of like your dad did. Just try it out, you know? Well, we, you can tell him to go, don't do not do that here. It's too hot. <laughs> you know, my wife loves Riesling. We'll go to the store and get her some, you know. Yeah, get some something from Germany. Germany. Alsace, yeah. Washington State or something. Yeah. Somewhere. Now, what white grapes that are wonderful here is Viognier. Interesting. 
That's cool. Viognier is sort of our state white grape. There's more wineries making Viognier. Okay. Do the growers like it? Mm, the, you know, Viognier is like Syrah. One year it's great, and the next year it's down. One right. year it's great, and it's down. Yeah. But it makes incredible white wine. Good. It does. Good. Uh, Roussan. I love Roussan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy planted some Marsan for me. He planted two acres of pick pool for me. Pick pool blanc. Really? That grape, that was, that grape was the best white grape at San Francisco International about two years ago because I'd never made pick pool. Well, I just and, started drinking it. It's delicious. I love it. <laughs> well, we make pick pool. Okay. And, uh, but, you know, I can't, hell, I can leave it outside the liquor store and people won't steal it. Right. <laughs> Stack it up. They just won't steal it. So, you know, it's like, well, what's pick pool? What's pick pool? Oh, man. You know something? And, uh, Listen. Go ahead. I'll tell you what's going to go ahead. As soon as it's, as soon as I feel good about getting on a plane, I'm coming to see you. I'm just, I've, I've had it. You're going to have a place it. to stay. I'm, I'm, I'm at your knocking on your door and I have a case of pick pool with me. Anyway. All right, Pick so Blanc, uh, the other white grape that I have I have loved from day one here is Chenin Blanc. Yeah, nice. And it does very well. That's uh, interesting. Does well in the heat. That's that's good does, to hear. Does, loves the heat. I don't make a lot of it, but I make it bone dry, and uh, I have that on the East Coast. You know, I'm in like four states on the East Coast. Okay. I'm the only winery going out of state. Really, uh, you know, in a big sort of way, yeah. And uh, I've ha- I've been on there seven years, and I've had that in in a Jose and one of Jose Andreas's restaurants for like four years by the glass. Good for you. Because a great sommelier by the name of Andy Myers, what a guy. Yeah, <laughs> I know Andy. Well, good for you. But tell me about, we haven't talked about your own place. Tell you started making your own. When did you start making your own label? And tell me the. How'd that come about and how'd it grow and where you're at now, well, that I whole first, thing. I first started making it out of Caprock. Right. And I was making, I made a little bit of cab and I said, no, nah, you know what? I'm out of my dad's stuff. I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do San Giovese. My little brother talked to my daddy to plant San Giovese. And you know what? Daryl Cordy, you know, Daryl, the great icon, Daryl Cordy, he's, he had, he's had my brother, and me send our Sangioveses. I've sent them twice to Italy for this Sangiovese symposium because he thought they were very indicative of the variety. Okay. And so I've done that, and and they, it, you got to try it. They're just a great Sangiovese. I want for to for the money. Yeah. I'll send you some vino. Deal. I'll, I'll, yeah, send me some. I'll, we'll do a trade. Send me send me something, and I'll send you back. Oh, I'll, I'll trade with you. <laughs> <laughs> no no uh, hey, hey we go we go bottle for bottle we price has no issue bottle for bottle buddy we, uh, i'm good we, with that we love san Giovese. i run out of it every year i do 1300 cases 1350 i'm out for three months and it doesn't bother anybody good for you way to go so you know it's not a big thing but it grows well here yeah uh going back to a real quick store you remember neil who has Fardiente? What was it? Oh, uh, um, Gil Nichols. Gil, Gil Nichols. Gil Nichol. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, he was in our class too. He was. 
Yeah. He was in the bit class. You remember he used to come and he would have the full race leathers on because he had a BMW and I thought that was cool as shit. Yeah. And he lived in San Francisco because he had a flight attendant wife. Right. And this guy had a ton of money. And God, I mean, God, this guy was like, whoa. And he was from Oklahoma. Oklahoma nursery business. That's where he made his money and came out here and, and started Farnanti. Yeah, and he yeah. came to me and he goes, Ken, could you take notes for me? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I'd take notes and give him copies. And so one time I had a friend, this was, it was six months before he died, seven months maybe, cancer, you know. So I had a friend, he goes, hey, I'm going to Farniente. I said, oh, great. So I got, I said, here, give my car to, to, to Gil. Give it to him. And I wrote on the back, I said, you still owe me beer money. <laughs> and the guy sent me a case of wine in a wooden box, Chardonnay and Cabernet, and a little note. He goes, all right, I don't owe you any more beer money. Have some of my swill. <laughs> oh, he was a so really sweet man. Break it I... over. He was a great guy. That's a little story from Davis class. Oh, man. I didn't, haven't heard that one. So, anyway, we grow these varieties now, and I think I've got a lot of farmer growers that are old cotton farmers that are really good growers. Right. They do everything right. And I think they know, you know, what sells in this state is, is, you know, I do a lot of blends, but it's all Rhone, uh, and Italian varieties, uh, some Spanish stuff. We have, I have some Graciano, Tempranillo, and of course, Morved and Grenache and Carignan are Spanish. And I blend those with Tempranillo. And then I have a uh, a Rhone blend. Nice. And I, I I guess you don't know too the story of Dave Finney. No, tell you me know, about why well, no Dave Finney. Know Dave. Yeah, he's, Dave Finney well, is. He's, um, good, he's been here now, and we got we got plenty drunk. I was, I would think yeah I can see that happening. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I think I can hang out with you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave. He, yeah, okay, Dave's great. He, yeah, he came here with his wholesaler. And we got to drinking because his wholesaler wanted to do some. He said, why can't we do a TX label? And Dave goes, okay, let's do a TX label. Because that's his, uh, Dave's got this this brand with. Uh, location. Location brands in Texas or TX. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay. So we, we started this and he said, I want your name on the back label too and all this stuff. And so we I've been doing it now for, I guess this is our fifth year, sixth year. Oh, fun. Well, last year, Dave calls me up and he said, Kim, he said, I know I read the papers. He sold it to Gallo. That's right. And I said, well, good for you. And I said, well, I said, they're probably not going to want to keep doing TX. And he said, no, Kim, they want to keep that one. He said, they wanted to know if you could do 30,000 cases. And I went, well, well, no. <laughs> Come on, Kim. Crank no. it up, baby. You said you're gonna you're gonna get a letter from Gallo and all this stuff and and I said okay and I thought oh boy here and I said I was kind of scared yeah and so they sent me a 28 page contract and, you know and I said golly yeah you know and they I looked it over and and then my 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 son-in-law is a lawyer in Napa at Dickerson Peatman and you know yeah yeah then. So I said, I'm going to have a woman look at this. He, and he called me. He goes, you can't do it, K-Mac. 
said, we represented Finney. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. So, you know, we went over the contract and we changed a few things, but you know, Gallo was very, you know, they were very nice. And, uh, they sent three guys out here and while we were bottling. And I thought they were going to come and they they sit and then they just showed up. But you know, they came into this winery and they were just totally blown away. Huh? They, they could not, they said we were very apprehensive because we've never done anything in Texas and we didn't know what we would find. And they were just, your winery is so clean. It's so this, it's so that. Then well, well, thank you guys. I said, that's how we do things here. Yeah. And they were just, they were so nice. And the only thing that we weren't doing is that we weren't swabbing after, you know, we sterilized. Okay. And I said, no problem. We can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and they were, they were happy. And, uh, I have a, I have a contract with them and, you know, right now it's still working. It's an evergreen contract and we'll okay. see, but you know, that, that right there, Doug was the thing for me to say, maybe that, that we can do things here in Texas and that may be the big tide that can raise the boats. Sure. I don't know. Sure. No, listen, it's, it's more exposure for Texas wines. You know, I've had a lot of Texas wines, but you know, I travel down there. It's fun to try the local stuff and no, the quality is great and it's getting better all the time. So it's just a matter of exposure, getting it out there for people. Well, yeah. And you know, getting it where you can afford, I mean, you know, some of this wine's not worth 50 bucks a bottle. I mean, Anyway, that's just my opinion, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it it's working right now. Yeah. So <clears throat> and the Gallo me. thing and, and Dave, what a great guy. Uh, and your winery, your winery is, and he came here. Huh? Yeah. And so your winery is downtown Lubbock and, <laughs> downtown and, Lubbock. and so, so cool. So you guys are cranking along and, um, you and I both had the pleasure of working with our fathers and we've lost them both in the last few years. Yes. Question for you. You think your dad knew how much impact he had on the whole Texas wine thing? You think he really, did he really know by the, you know, what he, what he did for that whole industry? Uh, yeah. In his, you know, waning days, he, he, you know, he did, he, he thought he did a good job. He he really wanted Texas wines in more states. Just distributed, then, yeah, distributed around yeah, the country. You know, yeah, where, where people could say, "Golly, they they are doing something in Texas." Right. You know, and but that's where I said, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm going to go out of state, and if, and I lowered my prices to do it. I did everything, you know, to do this. And on the back of my label, I say, you know, McPherson Sellers is to honor my dad. And, Anyway, so yeah, I saw, uh, I saw that. That's a really sweet touch, man. Thank, that's great. Uh, we, uh, I'd love to see Texas doing more out of state. I mean, if we had just ten varieties up here that that we could just concentrate on and you know and, and do that, I think I think we would get some notoriety. But well, I may not be. Well, I may not be to see that. You're making the first steps doing it, so um, you know, good for you. So cool. What, uh, anything new coming down the pipe? New, pro- new, new projects, new wines. Well, every year we do a new wine. Oh, really? Well, I do, you know, maybe a hundred cases, maybe 200 cases. I always get my, I have a great assistant winemaker. He's from California. 
And uh, he's from Temecula. And my little brother said, you got to hire this guy. Because he, he came out here to go to school at Texas Tech. Okay. And his name is Spencer. And so every year I throw a curve in there. <laughs> and last year, you know, I made a natural one. Wow, you made a natural wine. Good for you. I am going to come (laughs) see you. I want to try this. (laughs) Well, we made it for a restaurant in Washington, D.C. called the Queen's English. Okay. And they, when I was there, they said, can you make a natural wine? I said, can you make a shoe stink, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we took Vignette, and we made a natural wine, and they just... They fell in love with it. They love it. It's called the Queen. I love it. Now, Good for you. Now I'm probably going to have to do like five tons of that because <laughs> everybody loved it around here. But I said, no, it's not. I only did 80 cases for this restaurant. Yeah. See what happens. Good for you. So, hey, I got to ask you something. Also, you could, before I forget, where do people find your wines? Because you're only in a, a handful of states out of Texas. So, do you guys have a good website? How can they do it? We have a great website in my. My daughter Cassandra is in charge of the website. Okay, what's the? And I mean, what, it is like pretty nice. What's the? What's the? What is it? McPherson. McPhersonSellers dot com. So it's M C P H E R S O N dot com. So folks, if you want to try some of these great wines from Texas? Check it out. And yes, <clears> you can get you can get just everything we've got, just about. <clears throat> and. I'm going to take a minute here, my friend. I found a quote. <clears throat> Apparently, this is a quote <clears throat> from you. If it's not, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> Please correct me. But uh, here's the quote. I have no idea where it came from, but I'm going to read it. People need to hear this. This would be your advice to a young winemaker. Quote, you've got to be a motorboat. You can't be an ocean liner. You've got to be able to turn the corner and speed around the rocks. You've got to be able to think quick, and you have to be objective about the wine you're making. Don't fall in love with the stuff. If it's not good when you put it in the barrel, chances are it's not going to get any better. Amen to that, by the way. You can't put lipstick on a pig. Take it while it's young and hot and do something else with it before it's too late. You've got to be creative about what to do with what you have. That sounds, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I said. That sounds like you, buddy. That sounds like you. <clears throat> so, well, yeah, Kim, well, I, I, I had a I had a quote in the Dallas Morning News. I didn't think they'd print it, but it came from the movie Chinatown. <laughs> and I just put old winemakers, buildings, and whores all gain respect with time and age. <laughs> oh, and I think on that one we're going to wrap this thing up, Mister McPherson, my friend Kim. Yeah, thank oh. you so much. I hope I hope everything's good with you. I'm going to come out there and see you. Yeah. Again. You made my grower's day that day. I, well, I come on. You up to say, I know, I know Doug. I don't know if he's there. And you said, get your ass over here now. And I said, come on, Andy. You're going to go to Chaser. <laughs> Anytime. And uh, I'm going to come see you as soon as I can. And uh, it's been so, Please, it's dude. been so buddy. I got, a, I got a place to stay. Thank I got you. A, I got a B&B. It's I got been, a, I got an Airbnb. There you go. It's been so good to reconnect with you, man. It's been too many years. So it's so good. to. So let's stay in touch. Please, please. Oh, oh, yeah. All right, buddy. You take care. All right. So great. Be good. Having me on your show, and I really appreciate it. All right, buddy. Be good. Love you. See you. You too. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a storyteller. I knew this one would be fun, but had no idea it'd be that much fun. It was great to catch up with Kim. 
He has a big love of wine, a love of his family, and his home state, and it all comes shining through. I hope you get a chance to check out some of the wines from McPherson Cellars and see the best that Texas has to offer. I hope you have enjoyed this latest episode. If you like the taste and want other people to find it, please take a moment to leave a review in your favorite podcast platform. Reviews and ratings help get the word out. And if you have any comments or questions about the show, please contact us at podcast at We'll see you next time.